Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Good. Well, it's lovely to all be back together again after the summer. Um, for Owen and Pauline and I and a number of us, our summer started with with two, we started with two weeks of New Day, others one week of New Day, which was just a fantastic event this year. And uh, we'll probably, I guess, at some point share with you some of the statistics of what happened uh, during that week. It was just a really significant time, God's blessing, uh, involvement of a number of people in the church. So if you were at New Day, just put your hand up so people can see who was at New Day. Yeah, a number of us there. Even more next year, eh, guys? That's what we would love. So yeah, a really good time. And then, um, yeah, it's good to be back after, after being away, some of us. If you've been away apart from New Day, indicate for us if you've been on holiday or been away for a bit. Yeah, welcome, welcome back. It's good to be back together again. And um, it's good to turn back to the Bible. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to spend a bit of time looking at the Bible. That's quite a good thing to do on a Sunday, isn't it? And uh, I love the way that the Bible, God uses what he's, what he's, he's written in his word, the Bible, to pull, almost to pull back the curtain for us to see reality from his viewpoint. And that's so helpful for us, so important for us to do that. And that's why week by week, it's good for us to gather to hear the Bible preached for you guys when you get time at home to spend time in the Word or worship singing songs that have been written from the Bible and to get that Word into us. If we don't, then we, have, we, we are in danger of things, things from a human perspective. And the Bible is just God's way of drawing back the curtain for us so that we can see how things really are. And uh, this morning, that's what I want us to do. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks, actually, this week and next week, looking at the subject of living as exiles, which sounds a little bit heavy, doesn't it, for our first week back after the summer, living as exiles. But actually, the New Testament talks quite a lot about us living as exiles. Uh, Paul uh, talks about our citizenship being somewhere else. Our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, Peter, in his letters, when he writes to the church, he uses this a very old-fashioned word. He says, you're, you're sojourners and exiles. And sojourners comes from a, a Greek word, I'll need to read it, paripedimos. And that literally means, so if, whenever you come across a Greek word that starts with P-A-R, par, or pa, parimed, paripedimos, parikletos is the Holy Spirit, it means to be nearby, so parakletos for the Holy Spirit means the one who's close by, who calls close by. Pariedimos means that we are close by, but travelling through. That's what that word sojourner means. That's what paripedimos means. It means that we are we're elsewhere, we're travelling through, but we're close by. And the Bible quite often talks about us as God's people being these sojourners, we're moving through, but we're close by, we're exiles, our citizenship is not here. Jesus says in John's Gospel, I've, I've pulled you, I've called you out of the world, you are not of the world, I've chosen you, you're mine. I've pulled, it's like he's saying, I've pulled you out of the world. And so we live with this sort of tension where we're, our citizenship is not, is not here. 
And yet, in another way, we're, we're living here. And so how do we cope with that? For some of us, we're sort of going back to work in earnest. I know that some of us have still been working through the summer, so I'm very careful not to say we're all going back to work because many of us have been continuing to work. Um, but, but for those of us who are perhaps involved in education, that type of stuff, we're, we're going back. Kids are going back to school. There's a sense where September is sometimes seen as a bit like the beginning of another year, bit of a, a beginning of an academic year, bit of a beginning of a church year. We've had a, like a six weeks of the summer break, and, and now we're back. And so we're going to be back in the world, some of us tomorrow, for the first time for a little while back in the world, some of us taking kids back to school this week, doing the, doing the school run, meeting parents in the playground, back, back living as exiles. So what does the Bible say about, about that? Well, perhaps one of, the, one of the best books we could look at about living as exiles is Daniel. So these next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the book of Daniel and see what Daniel if you like, tells us what, 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 what curtain God pulls back as we read Daniel. Do you know, the Bible talks about the things that were written in the Old Testament as being for us. That's what Paul says. What was written in the past is actually for us, so that by faith and by what's written here, we might have hope. So what I'm hoping is that although we look at this thing about exiles, which sounds a bit heavy for the first Sunday back after the summer, is that actually what it will do, it will stir hope in us again as we know that God is with us in our exile. So we're going to read the first chapter of Daniel. It should appear up there on the screen for you. And it's a slightly longer passage than perhaps we would normally read. So it's a whole chapter uh, but you'll get a, just a flavour of, of um, if you like, how, how God deals with Daniel and his friends while they are in exile. And I'll give you a little bit of background to the story when we've read the passage. So let's read together. So Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, and a, a eunuch is another word for an official, okay? So his chief official, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. 
But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, I'm afraid of Nebuchadnezzar, who has assigned you your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we pray that it will speak to us. Father, I ask that you will give me fluency, uh, that you will help me to convey what you would say to your people today, to give hope and encouragement to us. And so, Father, we pray continue to speak to us as you've spoken to us already today. We love you. We honour your presence here with us today. We're so grateful that you, by your word, continue to just pull back the curtain so that we can see things as they really are. And so give us hope and encouragement, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context to this is that the people of Israel have been taken into exile. And we know quite a lot about the background to this from the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah, there's a whole book of the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, which uh, is full of his prophetic words. And right from the beginning, Jeremiah is prophesying to the people of Israel that because of their disobedience, God is going to take them into exile. He is, in fact, he talks about Nebuchadnezzar being his servant. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was not a follower of God. Nebuchadnezzar had his own gods, and he didn't believe in the Israelite God. Uh, he wasn't at that point a believer. Now, later in the book of Daniel, we may see next week that actually maybe that changes for him, but at this point, he's not. 
And yet he's, God describes him in Jeremiah as being his servant. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, is going to come and he's going to take you and he's going to take you to Babylon as exiles. And the people of Israel are very resistant to Jeremiah's prophecies. In fact, they, they try and do away with him. They, they tell him he's being far too negative. They find other prophets who will tell them much nicer things about what God's going to do. But God's very clear about the fact that he is going to take the people into exile and he's going to do it for 70 years. But when the people have been taken into exile and Jeremiah's prophecies have come true, Jeremiah also brings God's word to them when they're in exile. And one of the things that he says, which is a verse that we will often hear quoted and that we, that we all rather love, is the verse where he says, okay, you're in exile, but I know the plans I have for you plans of peace and to give you hope and a future, plans not to do you harm. You think, well, this is quite hard to believe. God, you've just arranged for us to be in exile for 70 years. But actually God was saying, look, this isn't, it's not over. This is, you know, I'm in this. And the other thing that he says to them is he says, okay, while you're in exile, this is what you're to do. You're to build houses. You're to plant gardens. You're to give your, your, your daughters and your sons in marriage. You're to have children. They're to have children. You're not to grow smaller. You're to, grow, you're to continue to grow while you're in exile. I'll be with you while you're in exile. And it's this context that we, that we read about Daniel and these three of his friends. Right at the beginning of the exile, they have been taken into exile and they've, presumably they may have heard those words of Jeremiah. You're actually, you're, you're, to, you're, you're to build houses, you're to, you're to do well while you're here. The other thing that Jeremiah says to them is interesting. He says this, in the prophecy that Jeremiah sends to the people of Israel, once they're in exile, he says, you're to do this. You're to seek the welfare of the city that you're in. Because in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. You're to seek the welfare of Babylon. You're in exile. This is not where you're, where you're going to end up. I'm going to deliver you in 70 years. But while you're here, I'm going to bless you. And you're to seek the welfare of this city where, where I've put you. And uh, so that's what I want us just to look at a little bit as we live as exiles in the world. What God might say to us through this passage. And I've got just three sort of short themes that we'll just look through as we think about this particular chapter of, of Daniel. So first of all, in the exile, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Not only is he acting in the exile, actually God is behind the exile. We know that from Jeremiah's prophecies, but we also know from this passage where it says, God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. God did it. God was sovereign in the exile. And uh, I think that's really encouraging for us because this, for the people of Israel, would have felt like defeat. But actually, you know what? God's victory comes always when it feels like there's defeat. The, the greatest victory was when, the, when Satan thought that he'd overcome Jesus by having him nailed to the cross. And what Satan doesn't realise is, oh, this was the master plan all the way along to do this, to snatch victory from what looked like the jaws of defeat. And when we can feel like we're in exile, when 
you know, stuff seems to be going wrong around us. We already prayed this morning about the situation in our nation and we think, God, this just feels like really tough to live as a Christian today. The world is changing. And God is sovereign in our exile. Do you know that? He knows the end from the beginning. He knew the end from the beginning with the people of Israel when they were taken into exile. He knows the end from the beginning for us and for world history. And he opens the curtain so that we can see a bit about it. We've got those great passages that talk about what will happen at the end when Jesus will come in victory and every knee will bow, when he'll take us home to be with him. And so there's great encouragement from the Bible when we feel like, well, we're living in exile. Do you know what? Sometimes I think the exile that we're in sometimes when we're in the world is to help us to actually realise our citizenship's not here. It's help us to look forward to heaven sometimes. And we don't look forward to heaven maybe that much. As you get older, let me tell you, you start to look forward to heaven more. You do. As, as you know, that you've probably lived now more of your life than is ahead of you. So that's de- definitely the case for me. I'd be 110 if I, if I had uh, you know, a bit more ahead of me than I've got behind. I've got more behind now, I think, than I've got ahead, for sure. And you start to think about, oh, wow, heaven, heaven sounds good, God. And I think about the stuff that's going on around us, the exile that we're in, heaven, heaven starts to look good. What the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Sometimes I think we have a bit of a plastic view of heaven. You know, it's quite difficult to, to, to picture what it's like, isn't it? And we can have that, that plastic view of sort of I don't know, crowds of people there all worshipping and angels and clouds and harps and no, 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 no. Forget all of that, okay? No mind has ever conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I, I really love the, the old version of the Bible, the King James Version it's called, which, where Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and in my Father's house there are many mansions. quite like the idea of having a mansion. In newer translations it says many rooms. Do you know what? I'm going to stick with mansions. We'll stick with mansions. Sometimes our exile here actually... Do you know, there's nothing wrong now and then with, with allowing your mind to escape from the exile. Think, oh yeah, but God's promised this for the future. He will wipe away every tear. Our treasure is in heaven. Our citizenship is not here. It's elsewhere. But sometimes, you know, we, we mourn our exile here. We see the stuff that's going on around us and we mourn it and we're confused by it and we don't understand it. And that's when it's good for us to remember, no, God is sovereign. God is behind this exile. Jesus said that it was going to be an exile. The New Testament describes us as sojourners and exiles It's okay. He is sovereign. He remains sovereign. He is not just sovereign in the exile. He's behind it. Somehow or other, God has determined that he will get greater glory if it's like this. Jesus could have come back, or Jesus could have come the first time. It could have been plastered across the heavens that he was Lord. The earth could have turned to him then maybe, but somehow... For some reason, God's plan is that this gets him more glory. So actually, our exile is not a mistake. The fact that we live in a world that's broken is not a mistake. It's part of his plan. 
And so God is sovereign in the exile. Okay, next point. The world wants to assimilate. The world wants to assimilate. It wants to assimilate you and me. Now, if you ask your friends, do you, are you wanting to assimilate me? They're, in the world, they're not going to say that because they'll just say, well, you believe what you believe. They're probably just indifferent, actually, to what you believe. If you want to believe that, that's fine. You can believe that. But actually, the Bible, just again, if you, if you think about what the, the curtain that the, the Bible pulls apart here, it talks, the Bible talks about the God of this age, the God of this world. So actually, we know that there is a spiritual force, there's an enemy behind this world, and he wants to assimilate God's people. He wants to draw them in. And actually, that's exactly what was happening here. So the Babylonians, when they are doing things like saying, okay, well, we'll we'll choose these guys, the nobility, the young men, and what we're going to do is we'll bring them to the king's palace, we'll give them his food, we'll teach them all of our literature and our language. That's a very definite decision on the part of the Babylonians to assimilate these Jews, to give them food of the king so that they'll be on the king's side. These guys aren't going to rebel against us. In fact, it's, it's much safer for us as an occupying force if we gather these guys and we teach them our stuff and we give them our food and we assimilate them into our ways of doing it, into our gods. In fact, the names... When, do you remember when in that passage it talks about um, the, all of those three guys being given different names and Daniel giving the name Belshazzar? All of those names are Babylonian names and they're all about, they're all in relation to the Babylonian gods. So it's even about the religion, the worship. Okay, let's give them different names that are about names that relate to our gods. Let's give them the king's food. Let's teach them our literature and our language and, and we'll just gradually assimilate them. And there is a God of this age that is trying to assimilate us. And this passage just un- pulls the curtain back to make us aware that actually we- it's not neutral out there, folks. It's not neutral out there. And actually it comes into our homes. That's what's different maybe in this generation. It comes into our pockets on our phones. It comes into our homes, this sense of trying to assimilate. We had... Um, a session uh, just before the summer, I had a session a day with um, some of the New, New Day interns. So we've had about 12, 14 f- interns. And in fact, um, in fact, you guys were both on the interns, weren't you? So um, Hannah and uh, Junior were both two of our interns. And we had a day together. And we, we just talked a little bit about the way, that, the way that the God of this age begins to try and drag you in. We talked about things like Love Island. Okay, some of the messages that are behind that. Now, what I'm not saying to you necessarily is, I, I, I don't make a comment on it. I don't mean I don't think I would watch Love Island particularly, but um, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that you shouldn't shouldn't watch Love Island. I don't I don't really know enough about it to comment on that. But we should, as God's people, be aware that there is always a message behind this stuff. It's not neutral. It's not neutral. There is a God of this age that wants to assimilate us. It comes in waves. 
Yeah, it comes in waves. It can happen so easily. And you know what? I just had this picture when I was preparing this of the tide going out. And you know, if you want to paddle in the waves and the tide's going out and the wave comes in and you, you, it's around your feet and you think, that's rather nice. But then the next wave is a bit shorter because the tide's going out. And you just you make a little step. So you step a bit further so it's around. And then you keep stepping because the tide's going out. And it's like... It comes in waves, and it gradually you think, oh my goodness, I was standing over there just now. How far have I moved? The world of the God of this age wants to assimilate us. Be on your guard. Be aware. If you're going to watch stuff like Love Island, I'm just using that as an example, but be aware that there's, there's stuff behind it, there's messages behind this. It's not neutral. And this book just pulls the curtain open a little bit so that we can see, actually, oh, there's stuff behind this. There's a, there's a definite strategy behind this. The Babylonians had a definite strategy about calling them different names, giving them the king's food, teaching them all about their literature and language. It was a strategy. It wasn't neutral. We have an enemy who has a strategy. He wants to assimilate. So we're to be on our guard. You know, if you're a parent here or you deal with children in some way, it's really important that we're aware that actually they are subject to this too. By what they watch, by what they see, by what they hear at school, they are in a culture that wants to assimilate them. Once again, if you talk to people, they'll say, oh, no, it's fine, believe what you like. But we know that our... Warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. It's what's behind it. So actually, one of the things that I think as parents and as the church, we should be supporting you guys who are parents here, is to be aware that actually there's, there's messages behind some of the stuff that our children see. And our job is to counter that. If you think about that word, sojourners, Now, the Bible isn't saying we should step out of the world and not be part of it. It's saying, actually, no, that word sojourners, it means that actually you're close by the world, but you're travelling through. And so, actually, what I want to do as a parent with my child is I want to make sure that I am just tempering the stuff they're seeing. If they're watching all the Disney stuff, am I aware there's probably a subliminal message behind this? And it doesn't necessarily just come from the creators of the cartoons. It comes from the God of this age that's behind it. Which again doesn't mean to say that I'm not going to sit them down and let them watch a Disney cartoon. But I'm going to make sure that I'm speaking into it. I'm going to make sure that we understand that actually fairy tales that point towards, I don't know, that you'll get your full fulfilment from from marrying a handsome man or a beautiful woman, actually that, well, we don't actually quite, that's not necessarily that's true, but actually, do you know what? There is one who's ultimately beautiful. And C.S. Lewis talks about fairy tales always sort of pointing towards the ultimate, the, the ultimate happy ending the ultimate wonderful marriage between the church and Christ. So it doesn't mean to say that you can't watch stuff. You can even even watch that stuff and rejoice in it. Say, oh, there's there's a picture here. There's a greater picture. So there's something for you guys and for us as church, but particularly for parents, to know that you have a particular role with your children to counter the very definite strategy that the enemy has to assimilate them. Don't have to be afraid of it. Don't have to be fearful of it because that's why God's given your children you as parents. And it's why he's given you the church so that we can support with that and help with that. 
We can teach stuff in Sunday school and other stuff that just helps to counter some of those messages. But, yeah, this passage just opens up for us this sense that actually there is, there is a God of this age who just wants to assimilate it. Okay, final point. God blesses devotion and he is glorified. God blesses devotion and he is glorified. I love that sentence in that passage we just read where it said, Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel resolved. Now, we don't quite know why it was that it was such a big issue not to eat the king's food. So scholars have looked into it and thought, well, there's a number of different possibilities. It could be that actually the Babylonian food included meat that would have been um, illegal, would have been wrong for Jews to eat under their laws. It could have just been that, that Daniel actually just had a sense of insight that eating loads of rich food and drinking loads of wine is actually not going to help me to keep sharp and devoted to God. It could have been a number of reasons why, but for whatever reasons, in the middle of this, the Holy Spirit convicts Daniel that he needs to make a stand. And he resolves. And the thing that, I, that I've picked up from the passage particularly is how helpful it is for Daniel that he's got, he's got these guys around him. He's got Azariah and Mishael around him. And I wonder whether it was also a blessing for them to have Daniel. You know, sometimes there's, when you're in a group, whatever, there's one person who will say, hey, do you know what? I'm just uncomfortable about us doing this. And then the rest of us say, yeah, no, yeah, actually, you're right. You're right. I think Daniel was a gift to his friends, and I think his friends at this point were a gift to Daniel. They, they stood together. They were able to, to support one another in this resolve. Um, I, in the, about 18 months ago, I, I approached um, uh, Peter and Lucy and just asked them if, if they would mind meeting up with me every four months or so for me. So this wasn't for me to do any pastoral stuff with them. This was for them to pastor me. And, uh, and I'm glad that they did. And um, I've probably met with them about five six times, I guess, in the last 18 months. And they are, they are absolutely fantastic. They spend an evening just listening to me talk. That's basically what they do. And they're very good at remembering what we talked about the, the time before. They'll ask questions about that. They'll ask me loads of questions. They'll support me in my challenges. And one of the questions that uh, Peter asked me last time was so helpful. He said, OK, so, so he said, Phil, what, what, what are the uppermost things in your mind at the moment? What's troubling you at the moment? just so helpful. And I was able to talk to them about a dilemma that I was facing at work. It was a bit of an integrity issue, and I didn't really want to face it. I wanted to bury it, you know? I didn't want to have to face it. But they just asked some questions, and I, I talked about it. They were so encouraging. They just encouraged me. I said, no, no, it's, you're right, Phil. You're right to do this. It's the right thing to do. You're absolutely right. And do you know what they then did? They then said, okay, let's pray. And then they prayed for me in it. And I was able then to take the step I needed to take, which I really didn't want to take. But it was an integrity issue. It was, it was like a resolve. And I have to be honest, there were days when my resolve was shaky. So I don't know whether anybody will ever know about this. If I just leave it, you know, probably nothing will happen. So I, just, I could just leave it. You know when you do that stuff, when you reason with yourself? I was doing loads of that. 
And it was just so helpful that at that particular point, I was meeting with them, and Pete asks the question, so what's troubling you, Phil, at the moment? Oh, okay. I thought, yep, all right, thank you, Lord. Okay, so this is what's troubling me. Okay, and they encouraged me. Do you know what? It, it wasn't heavy. Sometimes we can think when we arrange to meet up with someone, it's, all about, it's about this thing called accountability. When people are going to ask you difficult questions about whether you've had lustful thoughts this week. It's, you know, it's not, no wonder none of us want that. But there is something wonderful about this type of supportive brotherly, sisterly stuff with one another. Do you know what? I come away from those times with Peter and Lucy, it's like I've had a cup, been given a cup of cold water. It's just, it's just wonderful. I recommend it. If you don't have that, then I wholeheartedly recommend it to you. Talk to your small group leader. It might not be them that does it, but they might say, well, have you thought about getting together with so-and-so? If, if you'd love to do it and you can't think of how you would do it, well, then come and talk to me or to Owen or to Matt, and we can just say, well, perhaps you can meet with one of us, or, or have you thought about, how about this person? But oh, I tell you what, it helps your resolve as a Christian. It really helped my resolve to be a bit of a Daniel in this circumstance where I was so tempted to be assimilated. So I highly recommend it. Daniel had people around him who would help him with this resolve. And then I like this bit. In the passage it says, Daniel resolved and God gave him favour and compassion in the sight of the official. When we devote ourselves to him, when we take an action, a step, when we are devoting ourselves to God, God blesses it. He may give you unexpected favour when you make that tricky decision. But he always blesses it and he always gets glory from it. You think about the end of the story when actually Nebuchadnezzar recognises that these guys are more wise than all the other guys I've had around me for years. These young men, these young Jews, they're wiser. Why? Because, well, because God gave them favour and God blessed them. It says that in their studies, in their learning of the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, it says in there, God gave them wisdom in it. And as, I think that's a great encouragement for us in our own secular work, in our own studies, as some of you guys go back to or off to university to study, as some of us go back into the workplace, we can expect, if we are devoted to him, that he will give us a supernatural level of wisdom that is over and above what we might have just got from our normal study. That's what it says. It says God gave them wisdom in their studies. And then God also gives Daniel this supernatural gift of being able to interpret dreams and visions. And that brings about, perhaps, the thing that we read about in Jeremiah when Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city. That's exactly what happens as a result of God giving these guys wisdom. We find out later in the book of Daniel that they are given huge responsibility in the government of Babylon and Daniel is used as a source of wisdom and revelation and 
and, and supernatural ability to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams later on that bring about blessing. And you can, we can expect that when we are living in exile. When we go a little bit further into Daniel next week, we'll see that it doesn't always end up like that. But actually, the favor in this chapter is a bit like the honeymoon period. Okay, there's favor for them. They're viewed well. Nebuchadnezzar wisdom like this. Um, and those of us that know the book of Daniel and know the famous bits about Daniel and the, the, the lion's den, etc., know that actually this, there's, not always, there's not always a sense of favor. There's not a sense of approval. Do you know what Jesus said to his disciples? Reject me, they will reject you. But then he also said, and if they listen to my words, they will also listen to yours. There will be times when we will feel like, do you know what? I feel like they're listening to me. God, this is, I feel like I'm getting the download of your wisdom and I'm gaining favor. And we can expect that. Sometimes the outcome might be slightly different. But we can expect that if we devote ourselves to him, if we make resolutions, if we surround ourselves with people who can support us in making those resolutions as we live in exiles, then we can expect God to cause us to be seen with favor. I think probably there are people in this room who can give testimony, who can tell stories about unexpected favor in the workplace, in their health, with their children, in things that they're putting their hand to. It's like, wow, well, I don't know quite how that happened, but there's, I don't quite know how that job came about. I can certainly testify that into my, in my own life. Unexpected favour. You know what? You can expect that because you belong to him. There will be unexpected favour on your life. There might also be some other stuff that's more difficult to walk through, but as we'll see next week, even when we walk through the difficult stuff, he still is with us and he still gets the glory. Shall we pray together? Father, we're so grateful for your word and for the fact that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's what you say it should be. That's what you say it is. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we thank you that you haven't left us to try and work stuff out by ourselves, but you have given us your word that pulls back the curtain so that we can see the reality of how things really are. We thank you so much that we are passing through. We are sojourners. You have called us, yes, to seek the welfare of the city. And Lord, we want to commit ourselves to doing that with all our might, to be a blessing where you've put us, to be as you were, Lord Jesus, a servant king. Lord, we want to be like that. We want to be a blessing to this world. We want to seek the welfare of the city, to seek the welfare of our nation, to seek the welfare of our, our colleagues and our families, whatever we're walking back into at the end of this meeting, whatever we're walking into tomorrow, we want to seek the welfare of the place you've put us. But we thank you also that as well as being those who are next to, we're also walking somewhere else. We're headed somewhere else. There's, our citizenship is in heaven. It's elsewhere 
Thank you for the hope that that gives. Father, I pray for us whenever we mourn what it's like to live in exile, or when we look at a nation that seems to be moving further and further away from you, and it becomes even more and more difficult to really speak with confidence about the things that we believe, or there's a sense of mourning. We look back on a nation that used to call itself a Christian nation, doesn't anymore, and we can have a sense of mourning about that. But actually, we thank you that all, in all of this, you are sovereign. You are behind it. You are in it. And you know the end from the beginning. So, Father, be with us as we step back into the world as exiles this week. and Help us to be a blessing where you've put us. And help us, most of all, to bring glory to your name through what we do, through what we say, through how we live. We ask it through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, and for the glory of the Father. Amen. Um, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to, to step in. Let's, I just want us to keep our, our, our heads bowed and our eyes closed, because um, Phil isn't particularly talking about work. Um, but he, but he is talking about work. And uh, he is talking about the place that most of us spend our time, which is not here together. It's in a different place. And I don't want us to miss the, um, really, the, the, the depth of what he said and, and, and what, what's behind it. And there's just a couple of things I want to uh, really, I suppose, bold, if you like. This was... If I was on my iPad, I'd bold this. Resolve. Um, I'm hoping that God has spoken to all of us here, but some of us know we need to resolve. And I, I want to just highlight that. You know you need to resolve. You know that you've allowed yourself a bit to be assimilated and you need to resolve. And it's interesting that Phil talked about resolving um, with the help of others so it's not it's not an isolated thing I need to resolve over here on my own I might need to bring that thing to others who can stand with me but I do need to resolve and I, I feel that for some of us here that it's a resolving issue that we need to bring um, uh, and I feel for others that when people talk about Daniel, that can be, you know, we talk about Daniel in the workplace, and it can be kind of an abstract thing. But for some of us, there is a reality that we are Daniels where we are in work. We are. And you know that for yourself, that when you think about, oh, I'm in a place where, where actually they don't believe what I believe, um, but I'm given favour in this place, and I'm tested in this place. Some of you are your Daniels in the workplace and it's not just a, a, a thing some of you that's what you are you, you're there you have favor people listen to you um, and you kind of need to resolve you you don't want to be assimilated and I, I just feel to, to highlight and then and then I f felt like there is this thing about God's sovereignty that we must learn to trust that God not only allowed the exile, he was behind the exile. And we must learn to trust the fact that God 
for whatever reason, is behind the way the world is. He, he, he's behind it. He's not caught out trying different things to sort it. He's behind it. And uh, it, it almost feels like well, there's that passage in Timothy where it talks about when we preach, we, we correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Some of us today, there is a corrective in terms of how we think about the workplace. Some of us, it's an encouragement. For others, it may be a rebuke. I, I just feel like I'm to bold those things and to, and to just really emphasize that. And uh, Father, I, I want to pray for every person here as we have had this moment where we've paused and thought about what it means to be devoted to you and the impact that our devotion to you has on our work. And Father, I pray we get the connection between devotion to God and work and that those things are totally connected because you are totally about that. And not only that, that those things are both connected to the local church where we can find the help that Daniel found with his friends to resolve. You don't do that separately on your own. You don't do that in some in some um, vacuum. You do it through, through and with and among the people that God has placed you among. And so, Father, for different people it means different things, but I pray that this word is not lost. I pray that this word um, fulfills every, everything it's meant to fulfill in our hearts and our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Phil. We're going to finish there. Um, and, yeah, hope you all have a great week. I think there'll be tea and coffee at the back. In fact, I'm on tea and coffee. <laughs> so there'll be tea and coffee in a moment as I just need to get over there. Uh, I forgot about that. And, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll come and talk to you in a moment. So I think we're just going to finish there. Okay. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.